Now on view at SCAD Fash, Manish Aurora's Life is Beautiful. Renowned for dazzling designs and a rainbow of colors, Manish Aurora has brought the talent and craftsmanship of India's rich sartorial history to the global forefront, earning international acclaim on runways across three continents. Designing in India since the 1990s, Aurora's glittering garments celebrate extravagant expressions of self through varied materials, techniques, and silhouettes in a triumphant union of Western and Eastern aesthetics adapted to today's multicultural society with a touch of humor. Find out more at scadfash.org. Support for WABE comes from 100 Miles, a nonprofit committed to preserving Georgia's 100-mile coast. Protecting this critical coastal ecosystem takes all of us. Watch the stories of the innovators and future leaders who help keep our coast flowing at OurGeorgiaCoast.org. From WABE in Atlanta, this is City Lights. I'm Lois Reitzes. Thank you for listening. The Venerable H. Johnson is host of WABE's Jazz Classics and Blues Classics. Today on City Lights, H. Muse is on one of his favorite musicians, pianist Errol Garner, is the subject of H. Johnson's Jazz Moment later this hour. Plus, City Light senior producer Kim Drobes catches up with Grant Henry, also known as the artist Sister Louisa. First, Jack McBrayer does not wear a red cardigan or chap with hand puppets, on his new children's show, but you will want to be his neighbor. The actor, comedian, and 30 Rock alum is the host and executive producer of the Apple TV Plus series, Hello Jack, The Kindness Show. The second season just premiered. Jack McBrayer joins me now via Zoom. Welcome back to City Lights. Thank you so much. Thank you very much for having me. Hello, Jack teaches children the importance of being kind and compassionate. And the show has been described as the new Mr. Rogers neighborhood. To me, it feels more like Kenneth from 30 Rock meets Mr. Rogers at Second City with a wee bit of Saturday Night Live. That is a fairly apt description. Oh, good. But, uh, Jack, what are your thoughts on the show being labeled as the new Mr. Rogers neighborhood? Well, I'll be honest, that association is so welcome and really and truly it was very much what I was striving to do. Now I am no fool. I am no Fred Rogers. He was such a special, such a unique individual. But I tell you what, I grew up loving his show. I saw a need for more of those messages in 2022 and I wanted to honor that and I wanted to uh, 
pretty much just pick up the baton where he left off. So I will happily take the association, but believe you me, those shoes are impossible to fill. But Jack McBrayer has a way of doing it too. So let's see what that looks like. Yes. And in a nod to sweaters, yours aren't cardigans, but I notice they magically change colors, often within a single song. You will start out in a yellow sweater that becomes green and then it's peach. That's something Jacka, wait, how do you say <laughs> Jacka Cadabra? Well played, well played. We have a wonderful episode where I say Jacka Cadabra. You're right, it is a little trickier. <laughs> you know, such great uh, thought was put into the design of all the elements, uh, including the wardrobe. So oh, it's just, yes. we're so pleased with how beautiful it all looks. Oh, yes. And I read that you co-created the show with Angela C. Santamero. Did you two pitch the series to Apple TV Plus, or did they approach you to create a children's series? Well, I do have to take some credit where I had an idea to do the show. I went to Apple with the idea, and Apple teamed me up with Angela Santamero and her company, Nine Story Media, and they have a great background in children's programming with shows like Blue's Clues and Daniel Tiger's Neighborhood, and I was very, very grateful for that collaboration because as much as I love comedy and I knew what I wanted to do with the show, there was simply a learning curve, uh, a level of education that I did not have, and so it was a very welcome collaboration as far as I'm concerned. And Daniel Tiger, of course, that meant Angela had PBS experience. Exactly. Exactly. Please tell us, what are some of the problems children encounter that you address on the show? Absolutely. Some of them are pretty timeless, pretty universal things that you and I faced when we were preschool age. Feelings of Fear. We have an episode where one of our characters is a little scared by some of the Halloween decorations. How do we deal with that? We have an episode where we kind of touch on disappointment. Plans fall through for uh, an event. And how do we deal with the disappointment of things not going our way? Losing something. We deal with loss. We learn with how to be patient. With all that being said, it is 2022, so I look forward to more episodes where we can touch on things that are a bit more current, a little more contemporary. For example, I didn't have to deal with any sort of issues with social media when I was growing up, and this, of course, is definitely part of the lives of our young people today. So how can we address that in a kid-friendly, in an appropriate, gentle way? Mm. Those kids on Hello, Jack are adorable. What is it like working with the child actors? That was an absolute delight. Every single one of our young actors across the board uh, and our grown-up actors as well. But our young actors were just marvelous. They were so professional. I mean, they knew all their lines. They would hit their marker. I mean, they were better at that than I was. But then also they were just lovely human beings, even at such a young age. I, I felt very 
sure very quickly that these are the right people uh, to help me with this with this vision. And I also have to give credit to their parents too. Their parents were just a delight to have on set. I'm sure we've all heard horror stories about, you know, like stage parents, not even an iota of that. Just a, a delightful experience all around. Plus, it's just fun to play with kids. You know, like someone brings in a knock-knock joke every day. Uh, uh, Adam loved his sports statistics. It was so fun to just find each of their personalities and try to encourage that and nurture that and work it into the characters and the storylines. You mentioned the knock-knock jokes, and I'm reminded that there's wonderful wordplay. It just seems like language is something ripe for fun with kids within the show, certainly music. And you sing and dance on Hello, Jack. Well, if we use the term loosely, then yes. No, you've got some wonderful moves. Move over, Gene Kelly. Jack Brayer is pretty light on his feet there. Too kind. We were very excited to incorporate music into the show because, uh, as we know, kids latch on to the music. I remember between Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood and Sesame Street and one of my favorites, The Electric Company, the music was such an integral part of it. And that really stays with a child. Uh, We were also fortunate enough to get the band OK Go to create all of the music for our show between the theme song and they create an original song for every single episode and they just knocked it out of the park. And I've been a fan of theirs for years. So I was incredibly grateful to get them on board this morning as i opened up my eyes a hummingbird was at my window and while the sun rose on clover grove they hummed a tune that maybe you know try a little act of kindness start a chain of many more show a stranger some politeness and watch that little moment grow and grow. We'll try a little act of kindness. And start a chain many more. Your first gig in comedy was in Chicago at a storied place. Jack, would you tell us about your journey to the Second City Improv Comedy Club? Happily. It's one of my favorite stories. I had just graduated college and like many recent graduates, I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do. I did want to try life in a big city. So with a couple of friends, moved to Chicago, Chicago, Illinois. I had never spent a a great amount of time there. So it was all new and exciting. And while I was there, stumbled upon a beautiful old theater downtown called The Second City got to see a free improv set after a show where I saw some phenomenal performers, including Adam McKay, Rachel Dratch, John Glazer, Tina Fey. I saw so many incredibly talented people and it just inspired me. It just, it it really set me on a track that I did not anticipate, but I tell you what, I am thrilled that it happened. So I just, I doubled down and I started taking the classes and I would audition for the touring company and you just get promoted, promoted. Eventually I was on the resident stage 
And it was, it was absolutely my dream job at the time. I was performing at the second city. People were paying money to come see me perform. I felt like, (laughs) (laughs) but you have to let me back up a little bit. You said you just get promoted. No, not everybody got promoted, promoted. This says something extraordinary about your talent that you kept being promoted and ended up on the resident stage because witness some of the names you mentioned a moment ago. These are brilliant comic improv actors and comedians that Second City turns out, and and you're a proud alum. I am, and I mean, like how wonderful of all the things that my time there has let you and I would very likely not be speaking right now if it weren't for no. Second City, because you know that's where I met Tina Fey. That yes. uh, you know Tina Fey knew of my skill set, wrote a role for me in Thirty Rock, and that changed everything. So I, I'm able to trace many, many things back to my time in Chicago, and I'm very grateful for it. I wondered if. Tina created the character of Kenneth specifically for you, and you just answered that question before I needed to ask. I'm a one-trick pony, Lois, but it's a good trick. It's a good trick. (laughs) Hardly one trick. If anyone has been under a rock, I will add that Jack McBrayer played the role of Kenneth Purcell on... 30 Rock. He was the cheerful NBC page and eternal optimist. I feel like some of Tina Fey's sensibility is present on Hello Jack. Is that possible? Oh, 100%. Uh, I learned so much during my time on 30 Rock, really just seeing how a production comes together. But also when I got to witness Tina Fey wearing so many hats, i.e. being the star, being the creator, being a producer, being a writer. She was so busy all the time to create this incredible project. And I find myself on a much smaller scale trying to do the exact same thing. And there are some days we were like, how did Tina do this? But I tell you what, I was just, you know, stealing hacks uh, every chance I could get for Hello Jack because I, uh, I knew that she was able to pull it off. And so I wanted to utilize those skills and do the best job that I could. But uh, at the end of the day, it was important for me. And I will say this, it was important for me that people understood this was a sincere and an earnest children's show because, you know, so much of what people might know me from is comedic and perhaps a little, you know, edgy, uh, i.e. 30 Rock or something like that. But it was important for me that people understood this was an earnest version of a children's show because I wanted them to tune in and pay attention in a way that they might, if it might not, if it was just a a silly show or a sitcom. Well, that sincerity is evident. Jack, you have mined the small town Southerners persona for loads of comic material. Do you ever tire of playing with that stereotype? Well, ma'am, if I'm being absolutely sincere, I don't 
this is kind of all I know. Uh, if you think about the characters that I've played, it's kind of close to the bone and I'm okay with that. I am okay. I, I like how I grew up. I like where I grew up. And if that informs my performance and projects, I'm real okay with that. Now, if the day ever came where I'm like, I want to be considered a dramatic actor, I want to play a villain in something, that would be another conversation. But until that day comes, yeah, I'll say y'all and yes, sir, no, ma'am, as much as y'all want me to. <laughs> we love it. Hey, in Atlanta, lots of people are disappointed when they learn you actually were born in Macon and spent time in Conyers because we all presumed Jack McBrayer is from Stone Mountain, just <laughs> like Kenneth. Yes, there, I do have to like uh, distinguish that to some people. It is funny because also you and I both know Stone Mountain is its own city. On 30 Rock, they definitely made it, you know, played into that it was a pig farm, which we all How did think. Tina even know about Stone Mountain? Well, there were a couple of different reasons. One, they didn't want to make Kenneth from Conyers because that would just be too autobiographical. But <laughs> one of our writers was Donald Glover, who's a huge <gasps> right now. He is from Stone Mountain. And so he was very instrumental in a lot of the Kenneth storylines and, uh, and backstory as well. Oh, God, he is brilliant, too. And Talk about versatile. I know. If you are just joining us... This is City Lights on WABE. I'm Lois Reitzes, and my guest is Jack McBrayer. The comic actor is also the host and creator of the children's series, Hello, Jack, The Kindness Show, now in its second season. Do you still have your improv troupe quartet? Ah, so I have not played with quartet in forever. You know, the improv institutions have had a bit of a reckoning over the past couple of years, kind of shut down. With that being said, I am still in very close acquaintance with all of my performers from quartet, especially, and those people I knew from the Chicago scene. So uh, any chance we can get together, uh, I know that I'm actually grabbing dinner in two weeks with a lot of my Second City friends who are here in Los Angeles. It's good to just like uh, reconnect with people, especially after the past few years that we've had. And also like, I ain't no spring chicken. Let's take advantage of the time we do have together. And so I'm always excited to see those guys. Well, judging from your dance moves, I'd say you are a spring chicken. Oh, yes, you sweet talker. <laughs> no, it's all true. Because I wondered, given the last couple of times we spoke, you were here in Atlanta for improv with commitments such as your voiceover and film work and, and now with Hello, Jack. I wondered if you still wanted to make time for improv? That is an excellent question. I do love live performance and I love performing with the groups that I'm able to perform with. I do have to tell you, I also like to be in bed by 10 o'clock. And so if someone invites you to a show and they're like, yeah, come play with us. It starts at 930. I'm like, oh, Oh, madam, no, that's <laughs> pass. I love 
opportunities to perform live. But also, too, if I'm able to go to this dinner with old improv friends and do the same bits that we would do on stage, I might just take the dinner. <laughs> oh, throughout your career, you've worked on several children's productions, Despicable Me, Ralph Breaks the Internet, and Smurfs the Lost Village, to name just a few. What do you enjoy most about working with kids and now creating a TV show for young people? I have always valued entertainment that can be shared with generations. I have so many vivid memories of watching some of my favorite shows from childhood. I will never forget watching, for example, Carol Burnett and Friends. And I'd be mm. sitting on the floor, you know, watching the TV and having either my parents or my grandparents on the sofa. And we'd both be laughing at the same thing. And I will never forget feeling like, oh, I'm in on the same joke. Like I'm getting it. It felt like a very shared experience for me. So I do enjoy finding projects that can appeal to kids and hopefully appeal to parents or guardians who are watching with their kids. I like that shared experience. I know that Hello Jack is clearly aimed at preschoolers, but I also want to encourage some level of co-viewership, which is why I was so thrilled to bring in OK Go for that fun musical element and bring in these wonderful guest stars we have for season two. Yeah. More appealing for, for parents to watch with as well and to maybe create a, a co-viewing uh, experience for people. I know it seems a little pie in the sky, but I really do like that. And I'm so curious what other projects can be done like that. Mm, well, uh, hats off for doing it because really since Sesame Street, there hasn't been much. I mean, that whole Jim Henson sensibility and the children's television workshop. I like the term co-viewing. We loved watching Sesame Street with our kids. And, you know, if there was a Muppet named Placido Flamingo, and the kids didn't know that that was... Domingo, a, yes. Yes, they didn't know it was a riff on the opera singer's name. It didn't matter. And being introduced to people like Yo-Yo Ma or James Earl Jones, Madeline Kahn, to think of a few that I remember seeing when my kids were little. You are doing that by bringing on actors from your cohort, from bringing them on to Hello Jack. Absolutely. That's the goal. So, Yo-Yo Ma, I once had the thrill of interviewing him, and he said everything good that he learned he owes to Mr. Rogers. Oh, wow. How's that for extraordinary? I mean... He's such a rock star himself and humble and this great ambassador for music and humanity. And here you are, proud to carry on the Mr. Rogers tradition, but with your very original way. 
Jack McBrayer, so proud of your work and absolutely love Hello Jack. Thank you for teaching us all a whole lot about kindness. Well, thank you for allowing me to try. <laughs> Jack McBrayer, comic actor and host of the children's series, Hello Jack, The Kindness Show. The second season is streaming now on Apple TV+. And more information is available on our website, wabe.org slash citylights. This is City Lights on WABE. I'm Lois Wrights. It's great to have you along. Grant Henry, also known as Sister Louisa, is the owner and creator of Sister Louise's Church of the Living Room and Ping Pong Emporium, located on Edgewood Avenue. Church, as its patrons affectionately abbreviate it, is a bar that parodies church culture. Organ karaoke is performed in choir robes, and the walls are decorated with cheeky, religious pop art created by the one and only Sister Louisa. Making light of religion is not for everyone, yet since opening in 2010, church has been very successful. It's become a staple of the Atlanta bar scene, and a sister bar has since opened in Athens. The story behind Church is really the story of Grant Henry. He recently joined City Light senior producer Kim Drobes via Zoom to share his fascinating path from seminary student to Sister Louisa. Becoming the artist known as Sister Louisa obviously didn't happen overnight. For decades, you leaned into organized religion. You were a deacon at the First Presbyterian Church in Marietta, and later you went on to attend Columbia Theological Seminary in Decatur with plans to be ordained as a minister. So what was behind your decision to leave the church? Well, for me, church and going to seminary was a truth search. As much as anything, I had been involved as a child in the Methodist Church and then went into the Presbyterian Church after a marriage. And I was very involved in the seminary when I was there. I loved it. But I, like everything in life, I don't really attach to the outcome so much. I enjoy digging deeper into religion and into spiritual paths. And actually, by the end of seminary, uh, my goal was more toward pastoral care than actually, you know, leading a church. So I got to the end of seminary and my understanding of when you got through the Presbyterian Seminary, you had to stand up in front of the church and say, only through Jesus Christ is salvation possible, being a Christian seminary. And I grappled with that. And uh, I had done work in the church and outside of the church that involved people who were enlightened from different religions or from their own spiritual path. 
And so I didn't feel it was truthful for me to say only through Jesus Christ is salvation possible. So they said, well, you have to say it. And I said, well, I can't say it. And they said, well, you have kids. Your kids will have good education. So you'll have a great job. You'll, you'll have access to mountain houses and, and vehicles. And I said, well, I didn't really come to seminary for that. I came more as a truth search. So I can't. You know, I can't stand up in front of the church and say only through Jesus Christ is salvation possible. So I either have to not say it or I have to just not be involved with the church, which is fine. It's been a great, you know, experience. My years at seminary were wonderful. So I left the church and actually walked across the street and uh, went to work at the Methodist Children's Home, uh, which is right in Decatur. And uh, started working there and doing, you know, individual and group stuff with kids and then moved on to another psychiatric hospital. So it, it wasn't a negative thing at all. And actually, I don't even care. I'm not really, uh, I wouldn't say, I couldn't say I'm a Christian. So, you know, they're the winners. <laughs> uh, so, you know, here I am. So my, my dad was a Presbyterian elder in Presbyterian church, and he was, you know, I think his main goal of life was for me to become a Presbyterian minister. And so he was excited. And unfortunately, he died in 2009. And I opened up Sister Louisa's church at the living room in Ping Pong Emporium in 2010. So he never got to see me have my own church, but I did get my church. And I do feel like that Sister Louisa's church is, is a church. I believe that the parishioners at Sister Louisa's church are as caring and diverse and whole and sincere and righteous and sinful as, you know, as the parishioners at any church in the neighborhood. And we have a lot of, you know, churches in the neighborhood. Well, let's talk about that for a second. Has there ever been any pushback on Sister Louisa's from the churches in the neighborhood? Well, when I first opened up, uh, there was this one particular Catholic priest that came over and he came over on opening night. So I was bartending the night of the grand opening and this priest and three nuns, this is not a joke, but <laughs> the priest and three nuns walked to the bar and then they head straight upstairs and they're looking around or whatever. And then I had one of my servers come down to me and said, Grant, there's a priest and three nuns upstairs and they're taking pictures of all the art and they're taking the pictures of people in here. And what do you want me to do? And I said, uh, tell him to put those pictures on the internet, please. <laughs> you know, so then later the priest comes down with the three nuns and he comes to me and says, can I speak with you? And I said, actually, I'm bartending right now. And I said, maybe let's, let's meet on Monday. And um, started talking a little bit. And he says, well, you can't be, you can't be on this corner. We're church. You have to change the name. You can't be church. And I said, well, I've been doing this for a long time, you know, and I've been using Sister Louisa's church for you know, other things before. He says, and you can't have, you can't write on pictures of Jesus. And I said, well, with all due respect, those are like paint by numbers that some company made like loads of money off in the fifties, you know, they're paint by numbers that that's not really Jesus I'm writing on. And I've been doing it long before I got here to this corner. So, and he said, can't have Martin Luther King over the bar. Uh, so I have three velvets, three kings over the bar. One is Elvis, one is Martin Luther King, and one is Jesus. Big, huge velvets. And he, he said that it was, uh, I, I was mocking his people. And I said, you know what? I think if Jesus were here and if Martin Luther King were here, that they would approve of the crowd that's here. We're being good neighbors. We're washing our windows. We're cleaning up the corner of the street, which has never been done. 
So I think we're going to be fine, you know, as neighbors, but it didn't really work out. And my understanding is that they transferred him to another church because he had such a problem with um, Sister Luisa's church. That's a shame. Did relations get better with that church after that specific priest left? We have coexisted for 12 years now. And uh, I can say that there are pretty much zero issues at this point. That's good to hear. Let's back up for a minute. When did you start creating your Sister Louisa artwork? Well, as I was talking about uh, leaving the church, the, one of the uh, people at the seminary said, they're only words, Grant. They're only words. Just say the words. Just say the words. And I said, my mind just went to, you know, if they're only words, they're only words. Well, back in the day, in the 90s, I had an antique shop in East Atlanta. And it was called Resurrection Antiques and Other Worldly Possessions in the Church of the Living Room. <laughs> and uh, it was a total failure. And uh, <laughs> But I had a bunch of paint-by-numbers that were Jesus and, uh, and whatever. So there was an art show at the Telephone Factory where I lived at the time. So I went and grabbed all the paint-by-numbers out of my shop. And I started writing on them. So I did an art show with 66.6 pieces of Sister Louisa Art. I did them on windows, on paint by numbers, on pictures of Jesus, on boards, on whatever. And to me, it was like, so Sister Louisa Art is only is only words. Mm. And so to me, it was like, you know, you can't tell me that you're it's only words to just to basically lie to say only to Jesus Christ. Is salvation possible? You can't say that. And then also have problems with the words that I'm putting on the paintings, which are all true. It's a, it's Sister Louisa voice. You know, it's got to be that fine line between uh, reverence and irreverence. It's got to be not an answer. It's got to be a question. I'm not here to make a case for Christianity, for the church, for any kind of religion. I just love the conversation and I like the symbols of things that people believe. And what I do with my art centers around religion. Uh, sexuality, and politics. And you mentioned the quotes on your paintings. They, you know, they range from raunchy to inspirational. Examples would include the higher the hair, the closer to God, trust the journey. The only difference between doing it and not doing it is doing it. At this point in your journey, are you still inspired by the same things? Yes. I mean, just today I went and stuck my head in an antique shop and bought a painting of a rose, just a beautiful, tacky, horrible, you know, painting of a rose. And I will put on that, um, he arose from the dead. You know, it's a play on it. Something else that I know a lot of Atlantans associate with you is your two-word alliterated mantra about fear, which I can't say completely on the radio. So I'll just say F, fear. You have branded the saying on everything from ping pong balls to hats. And I know as a human, you are not fearless, but I'm so curious how you got to the point to be able to change your relationship with fear. Well, a lot of people call me the, you know, the uh, fearless guy. They think I'm fearless. I think the reason I have to have it tattooed on my arm uh, I think the reason I have to have it uh, all over the bar, I think I, re- I think the reason I have to have it on a medallion around my neck every day is I believe I have more fear than, than most people. So I did realize in life at one point that in order to 
do anything in order to be authentic. You see, I was raised to be correct. I was, I was raised to follow instructions. I was raised to do what other people wanted me to do. So for me to get to the point when I thought, okay, this is Grant Henry, this is who I am, and this is the light I see in the direction I want to go towards that light. In order to go toward that light, I had to face a lot of fear. See, I didn't open this bar till I was 54 years old. Uh, so it wasn't until I was 54 years old that I finally realized I don't, I don't care. I don't care. I, I don't care anymore. I don't care if I please people. I don't care if somebody likes something or doesn't like it. In order to do anything in life, I've got to be authentic. And at 54, I'm 65 now. So at 54, to basically decide to figure out how to go through it, I, I pinpointed it's fear that keeps me from doing anything. So yeah, I'm, I'm the F fear guy. But I pretty much let go. I try to wake up every single day and look at, take a tally of what I have and who I am and where I am and who's in my life. And I go forward with that. I, one of my sister Louisa pieces is grieve it and go. And I have taught my daughter this her whole life. It's like, okay, Mary Grace, you have to wake up. And if you have to disappoint people in order to go toward the light that you see in your life, you have to disappoint people. It can be me, it can be your mom, it can be your spouse, it can be your kids. But in order to move forward, you've got to, you know, you've got to stay in bed with your authenticity and what your truth is in order to go forward. So I wish I had learned it at 20 or 30. Thank God I did learn it in life. Uh, but it's, you know, it's a hard road. Indeed. But being true to yourself is always worth it. Now, before opening church, you were a bartender at the local on Ponce. You even won Best Bartender of the Year from Creative Loafing, maybe more than once? Yeah, several times. I mean, they must, you know, I have no idea. There must not have been a lot of choices that year. <laughs> I had fun. Okay, so I, it wasn't until I was 44 that I started bartending. And I had moved to Mexico. I came back and a friend of mine owned Eats. And I went in there and I told, I just said, I just got a loft right around the corner. So I'll be eating here a lot or whatever. And I, I sort of need a gig to do something. And he said, well, do you want to be my restaurant manager? My night manager? And I said, oh, no, 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 no. I, you know, I, even though I have a bachelor's in hotel, restaurant and travel. And I said, I do not, but I would love to learn to bartend because I have a loft with a bar in it and I'm not a drinker. So, but I don't even know how to make a rum and coke. And uh, <laughs> so he said, go up to the local and talk to Danny. And Danny, he was the manager at the time. Tell him I said to, you know, to train you to be a bartender. So I went up there and talked to Danny. So he said, you can bartend on Mondays from four to seven. I'll train you. So I had three hours <laughs> a week to train to be a bartender. I knew nothing. Literally, the, the customers were amazing. The locals, they would sit at the bar at four o'clock. And, and they would say, okay, Grant, grab the glass. Now, now grab, there's a scoop in the ice machine. Now put ice in the glass, fill it up. That's ridiculous. So they taught me to bartend and we had the best time. It was a hoot. I was older. I was, you know, I was just sort of a unicorn in there. I wasn't supposed to be there, but I had a good time. So then one of their main lean bartenders decided to leave and open up his own bar in Costa Rica. And Danny said, do you want his shifts? And I said, no, 
<laughs> only wanted to learn to work out. I don't really want. Uh, he said, "Will you do it until I find somebody?" And I said, "Sure, yeah, I appreciate it. I'll do it." So I was at the local ten years, and until um, <laughs> he finds somebody, till he found somebody, and then in 2010 is when I decided. I just thought, okay, I'm going to open up my own bar, and then I wasn't even smart enough to realize what I was going to do as far as decor in the beginning, but you know, I had hundreds and hundreds of pieces of Sister Louise are. So Sister Louise's church, the bar is basically uh, more of an art gallery that sells alcohol than it is a uh, bar that has art in it, uh, whether by intention or not, here we are. I've seen that you throw your weight behind things that are important to you within the community. One thing I noticed particularly is that you stand up for voting rights. Can you speak a little to why it's important to you to use your voice in this way? Well, I realize that the corner of Edgewood and Boulevard is a pretty prominent corner there. And when uh, Stacey Abrams was running for governor years ago, four or five years ago, I wrote the campaign and I said, hey, listen, I'm on the corner and I think you're missing the hipsters. You know, the people that are down on Edgewood, there's really nothing for them. I really would like to invite you, you know, campaign down here. You're welcome to put things in the bar, on the walls, have a meeting, do voter registration in my building. Uh, found out that you, you can't register people to vote in a place that sells alcohol. So we did a thing out on the street. And at the end of the conversation with her campaign, I said, for all I care, we can paint her picture, you know, her photograph on the corner of the wall. And um, then they came back and maybe two or three weeks later and somebody said, so are you serious about painting it on the wall? I said, well, the only thing is I require is it has to be on the corner because I think it'd be way cool. You know, I'm, I'm more of an artist than a business person. Luckily, People love church. And so, you know, a stump could run it probably. But um, <laughs> I knew the visual of coming from Cramp Park and coming from Inman Park and coming from downtown Atlanta and, and also from like Freedom Parkway and whatever, having her mural up there. And Fabian did the mural for them. And some people say it's the dumbest decision I ever made. And some people say it's the smartest decision I ever made. I would prefer the country be in a better place than me to have more money. Grant Henry, better known as Sister Louisa. Speaking with City Light senior producer Kim Drobes. More information about his Church of the Living Room and Ping Pong Emporium is on our website, wabe.org slash citylights. Coming up, City Lights music contributor H. Johnson stops by to tell us about one of his favorite musicians, jazz pianist Errol Garner. Amplifying Atlanta, this is 90.1 WABE. The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly, and Richmond Graduate University can equip you with everything you need as a licensed professional counselor while integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmont.edu. That's R-I-C-H-M-O-N-T dot E-D-U. 
you love free. And at Ameris Bank, so do we. That's why we're proud to offer worry-free, hassle-free Ameris Bank free checking. Manage your money your way with convenient access to digital, mobile, and telephone banking, all with no monthly service fee or minimum balance requirements. At Ameris Bank, we're with you. For more information or to open an account, visit our local bankers in person or online at amerisbank.com slash free checking. Other fees such as overdraft fees may apply. Ameris Bank, member FDIC, equal housing lender. This is City Lights on WABE. I'm Lois Reitzes. Thank you for being here. WABE's H. Johnson has been with our station since 1978 as host of both blues classics and jazz classics. H. educates and entertains WABE listeners every Friday and Saturday night. He recently added City Lights music contributor to his impressive resume and joins us every other Friday to share some of his encyclopedic knowledge of jazz. This is H. Johnson's Jazz Moment. You know, when I was a kid hanging out in the streets like most kids do, almost doing bad things, almost doing good things, all depends on how you look at it. Anyway, I was very, very fond of music and musicians, particularly and especially jazz musicians. I would listen to all of them. But when I heard this man, this one particular pianist, because I was trying to play myself, I was trying to imitate people like Eddie Duchin. And uh, you familiar with Eddie Duchin? I heard this man on the radio and I thought, what in the world? It was so beautiful. As a matter of fact, when I finish talking here, we're going to play the particular tune that I heard when I was a kid. It's an old tune, yes. Ironically, the song was composed by George Shearing, a blind pianist, and played by Errol Garner, whom we're talking about. Pianist who couldn't read music. Errol had his own style. He had a way of playing that was uniquely his and he was identifiable whenever you heard him. If you were into the music at all, you loved the way he was playing. Even if you weren't a jazz fan, you could really get into Errol Garner. And I mean that sincerely. You listen to him if you haven't heard him before. You listen to this man, Errol Lewis Garner, from out of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. He came to us in 1921, and he left us in 1977. He was very young, 50, what, 52, 53 years old, something like that, when he passed. But he left a legacy of recordings that were uniquely interpreted by him. Songs like Laura, you know, I'm Beginning to See the Light. He has a song called Misty that was a major hit. Everyone sang it when they added lyrics to it. If you're familiar with this art form called jazz, you are familiar with the tune Misty. And if you're not familiar with this art form called jazz, you still heard Misty at one time or another because it's, it's one of those crossover tunes. But Errol composed it and it was added lyrics to it later. And people like uh, Johnny Mathis and Sarah Vaughan, they sang it, made hits out of it. Errol Garner, a unique individual, a great stylist. He's not only a pianist, but he was a great stylist. When I say stylist, he had a style all his own. When he played piano, he would play in such a bouncing way when he played those bouncy tunes like I'm Confessing That I Love You and Cheek to Cheek, stuff like that. You can look it up, you'll find it. He always had this way of playing with his left hand playing chords like a guitar, just strumming in the background. He didn't necessarily use or need to use a bass player, but he had one with him and a drummer. But even when he was going solo, he was great. His left hand would strum like a bass or a guitar, primarily a bass. And his right hand played off key, but made it sound right. And then he'd come right back on key and made it sound even better. And I'm sharing this information with you because I want you to understand that there was only one Errol Garner. 
As a matter of fact, he was in the 1950s, he was considered one of the most influential pianists on the scene. Other pianists of great stature were trying to play like him, and no one, no one could play exactly like him. That's how unique his touch and his approach was. He had the kind of style and reverence to the keyboard that as soon as you heard him, you knew him, especially if you were a constant listener to piano players and jazz. When you heard Errol, I've been in places in clubs where somebody would start playing, you know, some famous pianist would start playing, and then he'd go into what I call that Errol Garner strut, you know, when you hear that left hand strutting and that right hand just bouncing all over the place. As soon as another pianist, as soon as they started doing that, you'd hear somebody in the audience say, "Uh uh-huh, Errol Garner, he's been listening to Garner. His sound was impeccable. I mean, absolutely individual where he was the only one. It was like he put his patent on that type of playing. But I've tried to analyze his playing in my own minor, minute way. And he learned from people like Fats Waller and Earl Hines and uh, oh, so many others in the past. But he incorporated all that playing into his own unique style. Style that I have called the Errol Garner strut. (laughs) Yeah, that left hand of his own. Something to be dealt with. Anyway, he started out very young, professionally very young. He was in his teens when he came to New York City. Prior to that, he worked with some talented kids in Pittsburgh, a group of kids called the Candy Kids. And one of the members of that group was uh, Eddie Jefferson, famous jazz singer. And he also played with Art Blakey before Art Blakey became a drummer. And if you do your research, you'll discover that Errol Garner is the reason Art Blakey plays drums. I won't go into detail because right now we're talking about Errol Garner. Errol was a unique, I keep using that word unique, I can't think of a better one, absolutely thrilling. I had the pleasure of hanging out with Errol for a while. I found out he was just like his music, full of fun, a loving individual, liked to shoot pool. When you were around him, you were just in awe of him. If you had ever had the chance or the opportunity to spend time with Errol, you would know what I mean. He could take the most dull tune and make a gem out of it. He was such a such an original, such an original. He was a great example of in jazz of it's not what you play, it's the way you play it. Having said that, I think we'll eliminate all this rhetoric coming from yours truly and listen to the song that influenced yours truly. And also Les McCann said this is the song that made him want to play piano. George Shearing's Lullaby Birdland, interpreted by Errol Lewis Garner.
WABE's H. Johnson and our series, H. Johnson's Jazz Moment. Today, he featured pianist Errol Garner, and you can hear the full-length version, the full-length version of Lullaby of Birdland on our website, wabe.org slash citylights. Catch H's Blues Classics show tonight and every Friday beginning at 10 p.m. And do return for Jazz Classics Saturday nights beginning at 8, right here on listener-funded 90.1 WABE. You've been listening to City Lights, our daily exploration of arts and culture. Monday at 11 a.m., we'll hear about Kirkwood's upcoming Off the Tracks Mural Festival. Plus, our series Speaking of Music will highlight the local band, Rosser. If you missed part of today's show, like my earlier conversation with the comic actor Jack McBrayer, you can catch up through our podcast or on our website, wabe.org slash citylights. There, you will find a complete archive of our story so you can listen to City Lights on your schedule. Our theme music is the first time Written and performed by Joe Granston with his jazz band, courtesy of Hot Shoe Records. City Light's senior producer is Kim Drobes. Our producers are Summer Evans and Janine Etter, and our engineer is Shelley Canavy. I'm your host, Lois Reitzes. We'd love for you to connect with City Lights on social media. We're at WABE City Lights on Facebook and Instagram. And you can follow me on Twitter at L-O-I-S-R-E-I-T-Z-E-S. Thanks for listening to WABE Atlanta. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. The world is full of mysteries. Are ghosts real? Is that yogurt expired? Hey, the unknown can be scary. But when you donate to WABE, you know where your money is going. Your gift supports the journalism that keeps you informed and the programs that pull back the curtain on complicated stories. Help us make the world less mysterious. Become a member now. Go online to wabe.org slash donate and thanks.